Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father was kill has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. But can I just uh, lead you in prayer as we open up, uh, well, we've opened up God's word and asking him to speak to us. So we just want to pray, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would um, speak by your spirit through your word, uh, that, that we would be renewed, refreshed, uh, convicted, challenged, comforted. In all of this, may we grow to be more like you. 
through the reflection and the study of of your word and we pray this now in jesus name amen you know this has got to be one of my my favorite passages in the gospels and i'm sure for many of you um you would would agree and and so to a certain extent you you look forward to preaching it until you get there and you realize well hang on i don't want to just want to go through the motions again because i know it so well you know you know a story so well you can just over the top of it so i'm hoping as we spend some time this morning we can just get a like a fresh appreciation of what jesus is saying in this and it is obviously one of the most familiar of all of the parables of jesus just about everybody knows the story and we actually use it when we talk about a prodigal as someone coming home so we use it as a as a catchphrase and yet i think parts of this story if we really reflect on it it makes us uneasy it's not an easy passage to digest the selfishness of a younger son the outrageous response of the father and the fairness or unfairness in regard to the older brother there are some things that jar with us now as a matter of fact the whole word parable comes from two words one of them means to walk alongside para to walk alongside and the other is to to wrestle with and so to essentially jesus telling these stories is he walks alongside with the disciples wrestling with these concepts and and so we're going to do a little bit of wrestling today now i I, I, not physical wrestling uh, no we're gonna wrestle with this passage because i think sometimes if we want to learn these things can make us a little uneasy i've got seven points so i'm just going to walk through these seven points and i encourage you just to reflect on each one the first one is this is god's interest in reclaiming the loss now to put it into a larger perspective we're looking at the whole chapter and essentially that that whole chapter Um, is what uh, Sarah read and it's the context of this parable so I think it's important to look at the at the front end of this this passage the religious leaders are complaining now let's have a look at that verse one and two again the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them now that's important because that gives us context to why Jesus told this parable does that make sense Jesus is hanging out with sinners and the problem that the 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 leaders the Pharisees they assumed that like attracts like so in other words if Jesus likes hanging out with sinners then Jesus must be a sinner that was their assumption Does, does that make sense and we make the same assumptions don't we we see someone with someone else and they go oh i didn't know that yeah might be a bit of gossip around the church you know this shouldn't be hanging out with that we we assume that if we're with someone else that like attracts like it's not always like that but in those days in particular if you particularly ate with somebody what you're basically saying is that i'm in you know relationship in harmony and i agree with them so you can see to a certain extent i mean we can point the fingers at the religious leaders but that was the culture of the day and in this context of these leaders um, complaining about jesus he tells three stories now i'll gloss over the first two stories the first one is uh, the lost sheep a shepherd loses um, one sheep 
And so he, he keeps looking, he leaves the flock and he keeps looking in, in time, if, until the sheep is found. And there's a, there's a great celebration because he finds that lost sheep. The second story is a lost coin. And here's a, a woman, loses a coin. It's not unvaluable, um, but uh, she keeps looking and keeps looking and keeps looking until she finds it. And then there is a, a great celebration. So the implications of this are clear. I mean, you don't have to be an expert to see what Jesus is saying here. God seeks out those who are lost and celebrate when they come home. Do you want me to say it again? God seeks out those who are lost and celebrates when they come home. Amen. So it's a reminder that it's okay to come back. Uh, We don't have to be filled in the whole guilt trip and I, I've spoken to some people they go oh man I mean I, I wouldn't want to go back to church I reckon if I went back to church I'd be struck by lightning you've heard that said haven't you I, I think it's more likely that God would strike up a party than strike him with lightning do you know what I'm saying if, you, if, we, if we're looking at this passage here okay this is that's the heart of God the heart of God is not to zap somebody but to welcome them back in and rejoice when a person comes. Now, we're not just talking about a person coming back to church, but a person coming back to him. So let's have a look, particularly at this story, the prodigal son or the lost son or whatever we want to say. Come to the second point. Here's the younger son asking for the inheritance now. Now, we can only assume that the younger son had a comfortable life. It sounds like they were a well-off family. Uh, They did very well for themselves. They would have had servants and the like. But here we find, um, in verse 12, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Who does that? Who would go... To their, to their parent and say, I want what's in the will right now. Because essentially what you're saying is, if I want the will divided, if I want my inheritance, basically you're saying to your father, you are dead to me, isn't it? It's an insult, isn't it not? And when you imagine that the father would have every, every right to say, I am completely insulted by what you are doing be gone, you're, you're no longer welcome in your house. If this is the attitude you're going to, you know, you can imagine, this is, you have, don't have this attitude in this house, you're out the door. That's completely understandable, isn't it? So here's a bit of wrestling. We've got a father who had every right to do that. And you can imagine dividing up the estate. This could have been in the family for generations. People worked hard to build wealth into an estate, and yet the father is willing to let his son go with his portion. Just like God gives us the freedom to make choices, good and bad, isn't it? Remember, I found many a time when people find it easy to blame God when they've made bad choices why did God let me do this why did God allow me why did God allow this bad stuff but God's a God who is willing for us to make choices to take responsibility and we can make good choices but so often we can make bad choices as well we are free to make our choices so the father 
gives him the inheritance. This is almost ridiculous what is going on here, that the father would be willing to do this. So it moves into my, my third point, which is the territory of dissolute living, I've called it. <laughs> so we find in verse 13, not long after that, the youngest son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, in other versions, it actually says that he, he, he went to a Gentile land, which basically meant, meant he went to a, a, a place where Jews didn't go. So to a certain extent, what Jesus is saying is, not only has he rejected his family, he's also rejected his own people as well. Do you see how, uh, how confronting that is? Now, Jesus doesn't give the detail of his, of his lifestyle, but I think there's enough there to realize that... Um, this young son cast off all restraint. We can assume it's not godly, can we? Can we assume it's not godly? And so often what happens when we rebel against God? We think we've got the freedom. We think we've got the freedom to do whatever we want. And you know what? More often than happens, when we rebel against God, we tend to make ongoing bad choices. Now, there's probably a number of reasons for that. Time won't permit for this today. But so often, we think of God as this controlling and judging God and all that sort of thing. But one of the wonderful things about being under the covering of God is that level of accountability where He challenges about good and bad choices when we look to Him and seek Him. But when we reject Him, who knows where we'll go? No accountability out from under the Father's cover. And I don't think this is a good path to travel. So where does this lead? Let's have a look. Where does the, the, the freedom to make whatever choice you want, where does that lead? Let's look at it in verse 14. After he'd spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The imagery is pretty rich here, isn't it? Left with nothing, how low can you go? Now, if you're Jewish, and I could imagine the Jewish leaders listening to this parable would have almost been disgusted by the, the, the visual uh, terminology that Jesus is using. Jewish people do not handle pigs. If this is your job to be feeding slop to pigs, there is no rung below that rung. Do you know what I'm saying? This is hit the bottom. Imagine them listening to that. So what happens? He's got as low as he can go. And in verse 17, he says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out and I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It says he came to his senses. Other translation says, When he was clothed in his right mind. That's other, other versions say that. Um, it seems to be so often that when we get to the, the bottom, we can't go any further. It seems to be, even though we've lost every opportunity, one opportunity is left is to be able to see that we've got nowhere else to go. 
And so in some ways, the best part of all of that is it helps to clear our mind. He's saying he's clothed in his right mind because he suddenly sees that there's really only one answer in all of this. Not in his wild living. It doesn't seem like in his, in his wild living or the parties or anything, it didn't seem like in his right mind then, was it? He wasn't able to see clearly when he was in the act of rebellion, when he was spending all of his inheritance, but at his lowest point, he realises what he has lost. How often do we get like that? We get to the end of our tether. We've tried every solution to try to solve our problems, and we go, what else can I do? And, and I don't know what it is, but somehow it just you go, mm, I might not have a solution, but... God has a solution, doesn't he? It seems to be so often when we get to that lowest rung that we go, I, I need to trust in God. I need to go back to him. I need to seek him in all of this. So he concocts a plan. He says, I'm going to go back and I'm, I'm going to be a servant because he says, there's no way, there's no way I could be a son again. Can you see that? I've let everything go. So at best, at best, I could be a servant. And bearing in mind, there would have been incredibly harsh treatment for those who wasted their inheritance. We can think about the harsh treatment that could be, could be brought out by the father. I would imagine in a lot of small villages like that, he wouldn't have even dared enter the village. I mean, everybody in the village would have known. He probably wouldn't have even been in, in normal circumstances, not even get to the family home. He would have been kicked out before he even entered the gates of the town. He's heading back. He realises there's only one path to take. Leads me to my next point. The father looks like a fool to redeem his son. Now, I think one of the most remarkable things in this whole story occurs at this point here. Verse 20. But while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. That is just wonderful words, isn't it not? And there's a few things I want to draw your attention to. Who did all of the travelling? The father, wasn't it? The the son was still a long way from home. The father met him. Can you see that? Now, the, the Jewish leaders listening to this story go, no, nah, that wouldn't happen in our land. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of pride for a father and he would be going, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait for the son to return. And he's got to be groveling, doesn't he? You know what I mean? He's got to be really sorry and I'm waiting and there's no way I'm going to go looking for him. Does that make it even happens in this culture, doesn't it? So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, fathers and patriarchs, men of status, don't run. They walk. They walk because walking is dignified. Running, think about it here. You know, we can wear shorts or, or good gear or anything like that. They wear robes. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried running with a robe on. I haven't, but it's not pretty. And you, you imagine the whole thing just going, it, it would be a ridiculous sight seeing a, a patriarch 
running with a robe, robe going everywhere, white ankles, because they'd have white ankles, wouldn't they? Because, no, you know, it, it, it's not a pretty sight. But you know what? The Father doesn't care. The Father doesn't care because he's looking for his son. He's running to his son. Fathers were more concerned with justice than compassion. Justice was the last thing on this father's mind. He just wanted to see his son. This scene looks foolish. The son is still a long way from home. The father did most of the traveling. And you're waiting for, where's the punishment? I don't know. Can you see, where's the punishment? This, this son deserves punishment, doesn't he? He's, he's wasted the inheritance. Where's the punishment? Let's read again. Can't see punishment. He actually threw his arms around him and kissed him. In fact, you want to even go a little bit further? He clothed the son in his robe and put the, his ring on the son's finger. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but that means a lot back then. You and I are one. You are, you are part of my family. You are welcome back home. You have everything that I have is yours. Let me tell you, this is a ridiculous story. I can imagine the Jewish leaders looking at this and going, oh, that, it just doesn't make sense. Because they don't understand the father's love you know what I, I think so often we we look at this story and we say you know the parable of the prodigal son we go yeah I know the story of the prodigal son I, I reckon I don't think it should be called the parable of the prodigal son because the son is not at the center of this story is he this parable should be called the parable of the gracious father shouldn't it don't you agree because it's more about the father. It's more about who the father is than the son. So anyway, we'll call it the prodigal son, but really it's the story of the gracious father, isn't it? So you'd think it'd end there, but there's another little subplot going on, isn't there? Comes back home, and I've titled this next part, The Brother's Grudge. So the older brother, he's out in the field, and he hears a commotion and goes on and asks one of the servants. So we know it's a big estate. They've got servants. What's going on? And the servant tells the story. What was the brother's reaction, the older brother? Was he happy? Happy! My younger brother's come home. How good is this? No. What goes on here? The older brother comes back, confronts the father, and he says this, Look, you know when you start a thing like this, look, this is not going to go well, is it? Look here for the father. All these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me... Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, here's this, not my brother. He didn't say, not my brother. He says, this son of yours. Notice the terminology. This son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Strong language, isn't it? What, what would he say if, if this was today? He'd say something like this. He'd say, what about me? It isn't fair. 
I've had enough now, I want my share. Can't you see? We could, we could write a song about that, couldn't we? What about me? All these years, I've been slaving away while he's off there wasting all of this money. I'm the good son. I deserve all of this. I've done the right things. I've worked on the farm. Not like this self-centered, pig-loving, sin-sick brother who brought shame and grief to the family. That's what he's saying. Do you identify with the older son? Probably not the way I said it just like that, but there are, there are times when you go, I reckon I've done pretty good with God. I go to church most Sundays and I pray and I'm part of a growth group and you know if people want me to do stuff around the church I'm all in I help here and I do this and I help people out there who haven't got much and so I'm a I'm a good Christian don't you reckon you don't have to agree I'm just making a point here okay but we can sometimes think like that so it brings me to my next point. Where is the justice in this story? And this is part of the, where we wrestle. We wrestle with this parable. Doesn't it sound like the older son has a point? Yeah, he's got a point, hasn't he? To a certain extent. Don't people need to suffer the consequences? Parents, parents shouldn't enable their kids. The father should have from the outset said, you're not having the inheritance if you don't want that. He should have done that from the upfront. Righteous people should be rewarded. And these are the things that we may not say it like that, but I think we process that internally. This story seems unfair. You look at that and you go, this is an unfair story. But do you know what? Do you know what? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is a fair God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say he's a fair God. Because you know what? If God was a fair God, we would all suffer the consequences of our sin. Wouldn't we? If he was ultimately fair, then the same punishment would be dished to every single person. If we're going to talk about righteousness, if we're going to talk about goodness, if we're going to talk about being a good Christian, that's how it'll work then, wouldn't it? We're looking for a fair God? Fair enough. But are we willing to suffer the consequences? because we've all rebelled we've all fallen short haven't we so what does the father say the father says here in verse 31 he says my son you're always with me everything i have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again he was lost and he's found the older son had failed to realize that he was living in the father's family and he had everything everything he had everything that he needed if you relate to the older son if that's something that you struggle with you could probably put yourself into this passage here god's speaking to you you've always with me everything i have is yours but we need to celebrate because there's people round about us have come back 
and we celebrate with them. It's not about us. It's about what God is doing in the lives of others. Because you know what? The older son is not in the family because he's a good son. Can we say that again? The older son thinks that he's got some special place because he's a good son. He's not in the family because he's a good son. He's in the family because he is a son. There's a big difference, isn't there? He's part of the family, not because of his goodness, but because of the graciousness and the love of the father, is it not? Never forget that. And if you're like and you're relating to the older son, remember it's not about your goodness. It's about the graciousness of God. That's a reminder for the older son, so people who relate like that. But what about for the younger son? And here is my last point. Why bother being good? Hmm? Isn't there a danger? And I could imagine the disciples getting a bit nervous about this parable going, oh, hang on, does that mean that we can all just go off and do whatever we want to do, do whatever we want to do, and then at some point we'll go, I think I've had enough of doing whatever I want to do, and then I'll come back to the family. So I get the best of both worlds, don't I? Both worlds, I get to do all the wild stuff and then hang out in God's family, do all the, all the rebellious stuff and then, and then enjoy the benefits of being in the family. So why bother being good? Isn't there a danger that that story tells us that? Jesus obviously had a different method. Why not live your wild living and just turn up when the chips are down? Why be responsible? Why be a good person? Why bother? The problem with this mentality is if we are driven by our desires and our free will, ultimately we're not free because we become a slave to our sin and our self-centeredness. And that's a trap. It doesn't lead us down a, a good path. And there may be pleasure for that in a moment, but where does that ultimately lead us? And I think that's the point of this story. It doesn't lead into good and godly places. We end up in pig slop. The best starting point and what it seems to be that the, uh, Jesus is telling in this story, and both the older and the younger son missed it. They lived in a loving family led by a gracious and faithful father. And they'd forgotten that, hadn't they? The younger son was more concerned about you know, his own choices. The older son was all more concerned about just being good. They both missed the fact that they had this blessing of being in a wonderful family covered by a gracious and faithful father. And that's ultimately what the story's about, isn't it? What is it that God has given us? And I don't know if, if you, as you, you, you look at these stories, you can, you can say, oh yeah, I, I can connect with the older son and some of them go, yeah, well, I'm a bit more like the younger son or whatever. The same point leads us is, here is the blessing and the wonder of being in a family. God the Father, who cares for us and gives us everything that we need. The blessing of being with him, not just in this life, but for eternity. 
Why would you want to be going out ultimately feeding pig slop when you've got this? So what I want to do now is I just want to just to pause for a moment. I don't want to try to tell you how to pray or anything like that, but I just want us just to reflect on, on this, this story. And I just want to say, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable and what it says for us. And so first of all, we just want to say, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are an outrageously gracious and loving Father. And that through your Son, Jesus, we do not need to fear punishment. For you have taken the punishment for us on the cross. So we, we thank you for that. We thank you that we don't have to earn our, our place into your kingdom or your family. We are adopted sons and daughters in because of Jesus. So we thank you that we don't have to strive to be good, to be righteous. We don't do that in order to be in the family. We respond in obedience because of the blessing of being in the family. I just want to pray for any people who identify with the older son here this morning we've been striving and working hard we're seeking to please you and, and, and please other in, in, as some sort of badge of honour help us to rejoice and celebrate in the fact that we belong to you we belong to you and that everything that we have is because of you we have a place at your table because of Jesus and we can celebrate and enjoy that. And in response to that, we will seek to, to please you, not to earn our place, but because we have a place in your family. And if we relate to the, the younger son, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would speak to us through this parable. that we think we, we're not worthy. We're not worthy to be in the family because we've, we've mucked up. We've fallen short. We've rebelled. We've lived our own lives and we're suffering the consequences of bad choices. We're living in the pig slop. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to see through this parable that you are out there looking for us you are with us you are chasing us you are loving us you've never stopped loving us help us to stop running stop running and come back to you Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this story. 
And I just want to pray for anybody here listening to this prayer. You will help us to come to you. Stop running. And enjoy the embrace of the Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name.